Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your bags on Luke. On Luke. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. How are you doing today, Adam? I'm chasing a wet puppy around the house. Oh, I yeah. just got back from another poorly executed trip to Vegas. <laughs> it wasn't poorly executed on your part. It was maybe poorly executed on the airline's part. Yeah. It's the time of year, Ben, when I go to Vegas for a very brief amount of time to place one Super Bowl bet. And by the time this episode comes out, we'll know if I... Have won a lot or won a little. That's the whole reason I do this thing. It's a it's a guaranteed profit. It's very very quirk like. Wow. So there's a way to make money in Vegas. Is what you're saying? There is if you've spent the entire football season playing a fantasy sports book league, and it all leads up to one final game. And if you bet the Super Bowl one way in your fantasy league and bet it the other way in real life, uh, uh-huh. you're able to guarantee. A win, irrespective of the outcome of the game. So one of these two bets is not being placed in Las Vegas. It's placed among friends. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's where. Yeah. Exactly. Where do you stand to gain the most in Vegas? That's a great question. So the fantasy sports book league like takes a buy-in, like any fantasy league. You throw Uh into the league, and then you're like. That's the part that would have me not willing to participate. Right. right there, that bit where you, you part with your own money. <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen what happens when you when you buy into a, a gamble. Yeah. It doesn't make you happy. I don't care for it. <laughs> so you buy into this league and you play the entire season as if it were a real sports book. You're choosing uh-huh. teams against the spread and what have you all throughout the season. And if you end up in the top couple of positions, you know, it keeps track of your wins and your losses. Right. And if you end up near the top, you have a chance. This is the last game of the year, last game of the season. If you win the league, you win the pool and all of the buy-ins that have taken place. Wow. So There's no like second place. There's no, nobody like gets a little bit the for top, the trouble. The top 5 places pay. Wow. But I am in second place. But you could you could move into first it with with the result of the of the Super Bowl. Correct. So wow. the top five places pay, and my being in are we going to get sued by Major League Football for saying Super Bowl over and over again? Oh, oh, we're going to have to bleep all that out. We just need to come up with a funny sound <laughs> that we can use every time we say the word Super Bowl. <laughs> so. So yeah, uh, I have found myself in the fortunate position of being near the top of this fake league, and it allows me to place a very real bet in a place like Las Vegas on the other side so that I have a chance of winning both bets or just one, but even if I win just one, I will come out ahead on the whole deal because what I will have won will supersede the buy-in it took in the fake sportsbook league Wow! by a lot. Wow. Man. So it's a big enough amount that the flight to Las Vegas and risking your health and your family's health <laughs> and the health of all the other people on that airplane is worth it. I mean, when you put it that way, it really makes me sound like a dirtbag. <laughs> I think it'll be far more interesting to hear how this went than the terms I was playing under. Like, uh-huh. I don't know if you've ever done a one day in Vegas situation where you don't stay the night. No, I don't think I have. But um, it was kind of fun <laughs> in that it felt like a business trip, you know? Right. I mean, in some ways it was. Yeah. You went there to get some money. I never- Do you have to go back to, to collect too? No, I I don't have to do that. They'll, they'll put that in the mail? Yeah. That's, they'll that, put your chips in the mail. <laughs> that part of it is fine. But I mean, I would want to go back to collect, right? <laughs> That's another reason to go. I love going to Vegas. Wow. I I was great. I was great about it. I never took off my mask inside or on the plane. I, wow. Uh, I, I you had stayed a, sealed up the entire trip. I sealed up my face the whole time. I took eats and drinks outside when I wanted them. I played like 90 minutes of craps on the video craps board that I love, the roll to win craps, and then I left. You you cleared out any potential upside by (laughs) losing 
Now losing I, at craps for 90 minutes? I won at Roll to Win craps. Wow. And then I, I took two work meetings. You did take work meetings. I took one in the airport with you and, uh, and producer extraordinaire Wendy, and one with you and creative director Nick Dittmore. Uh, yeah. On the grounds of the Flamingo Hotel. I, I was looking at flamingos while I talked to you and Nick. I was wondering what those background noises were. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, I, I hope whatever the ideal outcome is happens for you, buddy. You know what? I should say it. I should say it on the show. So when oh, yeah. you know, this is many weeks after, so everyone people, knows. People will know how you did. If the Rams win by less than six, I'll win both sides of the bet. Wow. And then uh, I hopped on a plane. Got right back home, drove home, slept in my own bed. Basically, three hours in Vegas is, Amazing. is what happened to me. If I wasn't Jewish, I would uh, cross my fingers for you, buddy. Oh, is that a thing you're not supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, that's for Christians. <laughs> really? I think so. I'm learning so much about Jewish culture from you. <laughs> <laughs> now, that I've, uh, now that I've married into it. <laughs> no tattoos, no finger crosses, huh? Yeah. No crosses yeah. of any... Oh, it's the cross thing, isn't it? Like, is that... Yeah, it's a cross thing. Oh. Huh. I think. I don't know how to... I don't know how to make a Star of David out of my fingers, but it oh, seems gee. hard. <laughs> well, you're going to need to flash that to, to get into... Get through the door at a ceremony, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's why I keep getting kicked out of bar mitzvahs. <laughs> that and other reasons. Right. <laughs> you're not on the, in, on the invite list. Nobody here knows you. Well, Ben, it kind of seemed like a gamble to do a Ponfar episode in Star Trek Voyager, didn't it? Hmm. Yeah. What a pivot, Adam. I mean, how do you do yeah. it when you're so far away from home and you got a couple Vulcans on your ship? It's a great question. A question that we finally get to answer in this episode. It's season three, episode 16, Blood Fever. Reaper course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. A lot of uh, potential DNA being swapped in this episode, but a lot of interesting inter-show DNA yeah. being traded around because Andrew Robinson is the director of this episode. Plain, simple, Garrick. And this episode draws a ton on TOS stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, very very uh, cross-franchise energy in this episode. The Voyager is in orbit of what appears to be an uninhabited planet that seems like it's got quite a lot of Gallicite, which is uh, something they're really excited about. They could like rebuild their whole engine block, apparently. I love the idea of contextual excitement in Star Trek. Because <laughs> as soon as someone drops the word Gallicite, the bridge crew just erupts. Gallicite, we've got Gallicite here. <laughs> it's very exciting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Their warp coils could use a lube job with this stuff, turns yeah. out. This is what you need. I mean, they talk about the ship as having taken a lot of damage in the last two years, and yeah. it doesn't really look like a ship that's like limping around. No, no. I but if it's... they gave any thought at the beginning of this series of like, are they going to, you know, distress the ship, you know, bit by bit over time? Well, a lot of people fall for this, Ben, because they only see the part of the ship that's above the waterline. <laughs> and they don't see the damage below. Oh, yeah. It's so it's, many barnacles on the Voyager at this point. It's like the iceberg yeah. of a starship here. You don't know <laughs> what's going on. The part of it on. that's in subspace is completely fucked up. <laughs> and that's why they say, like, when you meet someone out in the world, like, you never know how fucked up their subspace is. Right. You know, yeah. treat everyone nicely. Yeah. <laughs> you never know what someone's subspace is going through. Yeah. Chakotay asks a great Star Trek question in this scene that too few people ask in an episode. Mm -hmm. Too few people ask in a season or in a series even. Is there anyone in the area who might consider this their property? Guys, are we stealing? This is kind of <laughs> stealing what we're doing here. He's there to represent the indigenous perspective. and The writer of my character knows of stealing. The colonizers never, <laughs> never ask the question, am I stealing right now? Right. But uh, but Chicote might, yeah. So yeah, there's they do some scans and there are ruins on the surface, but nobody lives there now. And nobody... squatters rights, right? That, yeah. that's what they're yeah. working with. Salvage rights. Mm -hmm. Janeway puts BLT on the gig. She's going to uh, 
put a, you know, go put a team together and get us some of this galacite. This is going to be a big away mission, coffee-wise. There's coffee in that galacite. It's a different kind of away mission, too, because it's not just about sending, like, what are, what's that big, what's that claw thing that you see on, on construction sites? A bucket loader? Oh, yeah, like a backhoe. Yeah, it's not like that. You get the sense when the away team beams down that it's like whatever they can fit in their backpack is probably sufficient for the job. <laughs> I know they say something about a megaton of galacite, and I'm like, three guys is not going to be enough to, <laughs> right. to bring back a megaton, right? Yeah. Unless, I, unless a megaton is like less than a ton? I don't know. Anyways, this galacite is located in an existing mine shaft. There was a, I guess, a galacite mine on this planet that's been abandoned. So that's where they're going to be going. It's a, it's a spelunking expedition. And Bolana is in engineering talking with Ensign Vorik about the stuff that they're going to be doing on this mission. She mentions that Tom Paris... Famously a great rock climber, mm-hmm. and Vorik takes exception to the idea that Paris would have the better rock climbing reputation on the crew. Or uh, anyone would be better at anything than Vorik. <laughs> yeah, that Bolana would mention any male. Yeah. Is basically, he's, he's, that he hasn't even gotten to his proposal, and he's already a jealous husband. <laughs> I mean, I think he sees the writing on the rock wall here. Once BLT sees Paris's climbing ability... Uh, yeah. Vorik's gonna lose her to him. Yeah. So he's got to he's got to jump. He's got to do the Kunatsolik now. <laughs> yeah, and this is this is the critical error here. You can't have mm-hmm. premature Kunatsolik. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like Dan Savage always advises fuck first, but Kunatsolik later. <laughs> yeah. This proposal uh, does not go well, Ben, because yeah. it kind of goes something like, "Now that we have clocked out." <laughs> would you marry me yeah i i do not hear wedding bells kind of an ugly reaction from blt who doesn't use any of the normal reasons why a relationship might not work she kind of puts the fingers of her hands together and goes like how would that work with you and me <laughs> <laughs> as two different species she eventually is sort of trying to give him the brush off and he gets pretty emotional with her to the extent that he like puts his hands on her and she's like i've heard of a vulcan hello but this is ridiculous Yeah, you can't do that. There's something so much more violent about a Vulcan putting their hands on you than any other type of alien putting their hands on you for some reason because they're they're so controlled. Right. Like seeing a yeah. Vulcan out of control is just extreme. It always slaps when, yeah. when they do this in Star Trek. This is a very upsetting scene. She winds up having to punch him in the jaw, and that is uh, how she gets him off her and how we go into the theme song. After the theme we're in Six Bay, where the doc is scanning Vorik's busted jaw, while BLT's there to watch. I love this. (laughs) She's like, this guy attacked me. I'm so concerned about him. (laughs) No one asks BLT if she wants to press charges. I think Tuvok should be in the room for this, right? I think he is notably absent in this moment specifically. I thought this was interesting. Like, it's, It's a very upsetting scene at the beginning of this episode and we've seen scenes this upsetting before that were like switcheroos like Uh the tuvok choking out neelix but there's the this is a man attacking a woman element of it and the fact that he like explicitly made it about a romantic overture element of it that make it doubly upsetting and i think you're right like it doesn't i think it like it sticks in our contemporary craw because like that is our reaction to like how you deal with a situation like this is like involve like an authority figure and well not only um, that like the god the the decades or maybe even centuries of history where this is just described as a misunderstanding instead of an act of violence I, i thought it was so interesting how all anyone is doing is trying to figure out what is going wrong between Vorik's ears that he would do this. Like, nobody yeah. is like, Vorik is a bad person, full stop. Everybody's like, Vorik is not a bad person. He he 
made a mistake because something is going haywire inside his head. I think part of the reason that's happening is because everyone sort of gets the idea, like a lot is made in this episode about how little anyone knows about Vulcan heat and how Mm -hmm. much Vulcans want to keep it that way. But everyone knows enough about it that the doc's description of things, like the diagnosis that the doc gives, explains sufficiently for everyone what has happened here. Yeah, but only for the viewer, right? Because like Kess and VLT have to leave the room before the word Ponfar will even even be uttered by the doc to Vorik. (laughs) And Vorik is like, shut up, don't talk about it. Yeah. Sneaky Vulcans, they hate admitting when they're horny. This is not Vorik's first episode, obviously, but this is the one where the actor who plays him really does a lot of lifting Yeah, in this ep, and it really starts here. His hair went back to uh, pre-Beebs look yeah. in this episode. Yeah, he's doing some experimentation in how he looks, as yeah. one often does when they're trying to get the attention of someone they like. <laughs> So he's like, listen, this is really humiliating for me. I'm going to go back to my quarters and try some meditative techniques to see if I can clear my system. The doc's like, Vorik, we're like decades from being at home. You do not need to do your taxes until we get... Oh, I see. All right. (laughs) You go go do those taxes, buddy. Yeah. Go do them real good. Enjoy it. So... Vorik kind of storms out of there after some pretty testy interactions with Doc Holliday. And then Doc Holliday brings Tuvok down, finally, to Six Bay to talk about this problem. Yeah. And Tuvok is just as reticent to discuss it. He's like, listen, that's that's between Vorik and his tax documents folder, man. Like, I don't want to get involved. It's interesting how Vorik is an ensign and Tuvok is a lieutenant and yet the lieutenant is the one that the doc takes greater umbrage with. Yeah. With the like veil of secrecy around this. He's really emboldened to push back on what's going on here with Tuvok and not with the patient. But I guess that makes sense when you think of Vorik as being, you know, Vorik doesn't need that on top of what he's going through. Right. And presumably Tuvok is like pond fart a bunch of times now. Yeah. And he's spent a lot of his life among humans, so would presumably sympathize with their kind of lack of context right. for how to deal with this. The doc asks what's going to happen because there's not much in the record books about this. And Tuvok is like, look, there's three possible things that can happen at the end of Vorik's Pond Far. One, he can take a mate. And that doesn't look likely because BLT doesn't seem like a willing partner here. No. Two, ritual combat where he fights all potential suitors for the mate, or possibly even the mate themselves. And Tuvok basically turns to camera and goes, there is no way this happens on this episode. Like, (laughs) the chances of this this happening are are very fleeting. I wouldn't even consider, like, forget I even said this. Interesting directorial decision to have Tim Russ make eye contact (laughs) at the camera as he delivers that line. And see... Intense meditation using the tax documents that you have on your computer. (laughs) Doctor, have you ever seen a Vulcan with hair on his palms? I've got to get that platinum. Put your platinum where your mouth is. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time and... They send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful. No matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. 
boy do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. So it's fuck, fight, or masturbate. And uh, those are the only treatments. It's really the like rock, paper, scissors of of puberty, right? Like... (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, it's the rock, paper, scissors of the greatest generation. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we get some new away team outfits in this episode. I am always excited for new outfit day on Star Trek. It's big fun. I like these outfits. They're sort of form-fitting. They've got some almost mirror universe texturing along the underside of the arms and down the legs. Looks like there's some stretchy parts yeah. to, uh, to allow for the climbing a little easier. Yeah. BLT does not want to talk about these uniforms, though, Ben. No, she really doesn't. <laughs> she is, she's really on one. She's in quite a mood. She's, she's very peppy. Uh, Neelix and Paris are the other two people on the mission, and they keep making, like, what's up with BLT kind of eyes at each other. Yeah, she's way more type A than she usually is. Yeah, which is saying a lot. <laughs> on the surface, they find uh, some ruins that aren't even that old. These are these are ruins that are, like, less than 50 years old. BLT's yeah. like, this is trash. No one cares about ruins that are this young. You know what people care about? Galasite. <laughs> Let's get in those caves, guys. I got an empty backpack that needs stuffed with galaxite. It's not going to do it itself. <laughs> so into the caves they descend, and they're like lowering themselves on ropes. Shout out to Ethan Phillips, who like delivers lines while actually hand over handing himself down a rope. Yeah. Looks really good. No matter how real a holodeck program may seem, it just doesn't get your heart pumping like a genuine physical challenge. Did Starfleet outlaw jet boots after Star Trek V? <laughs> got it. it this scene really made me wonder why they're doing a rock climb in the old school way i don't know yeah maybe starfleet just wanted to put that whole episode behind them i mean they talk about how their sensors don't really work great in these caves and this oh. drop looks like one of those bottomless tunnels that you see people drop stones into on tiktok for my male audience maybe it's such that you you would never use the boots here because you can't see the bottom and you don't have sensors on it this is a really deep hole and it would be a shame for your jet boots to give out halfway down yeah maybe it's safer to use regular cables 
I mean, the, the cables are no great shake safety-wise, as we find out in this uh, in this scene. Yeah. Fortunately, like, it is not a lethally deep hole. Like, <laughs> when the pitons give way, it's just a, like, ow, I fell on the ground. Yeah, I really did not size up the depth of this hole oh. like I thought I did, because when Neelix goes off the cliff face, I was like, well, RSVP Neelix. <laughs> and it and it's like he fell off a ladder or something. Like painful right. but not lethal. Yeah. Not he didn't even break a bone. Yeah. He's fine. Yeah. Might have a big bruise, you know? You know he's fine because he's covered in alien snot and he doesn't take off his tunic again. <laughs> <laughs> BLT is super pissed at Neelix though. I would have been better coming down here alone. She's basically pissed at, at both of them. She feels like this mission has just already gone totally left, and if she'd just done it herself, she would have gotten it done properly the first time, and she's gonna march off by herself. She's pissed enough at Paris to give him a cling on hickey first, though. <laughs> That's the sort of thing you wanna put a spoon in the freezer, get right. it cold, and then apply it to the area. Mm-hmm. Try to take the spot out, but you know, that never works. None of those things work, Ben. Not when a Klingon does it. Yeah. Your parents are going to know. It, Paris has just got to rock the, the taller turtleneck when he gets back into the regular uniform, I think. That's what you got to yeah. do. That is one advantage of the Voyager era uniform is the hickey concealment opportunities it represents. You know who probably has a great hickey strategy is Harry Kim, but Harry Kim's nowhere to be found this episode. You can't ask him anything. Where'd he go? I don't know. I don't think you want anyone who's feeling Ponfar to be around Harry Kim because Harry Kim is going to satisfy all comers in that situation. (laughs) So BLT storms off, Paris reports up to the bridge, and he does not abandon Neelix to to run after her. I love- He's like, yeah, while she's in this face-biting mood, I think I'm going to stick with Neelix. (laughs) There's a lot about this scene that's unintentionally funny. Like, I do love how Paris kind of buries the lead on being bit. She bit you. But also we get a lot of uh, shot, reverse shot of Paris on the surface and then the react on the bridge to what's happening. And Chakotay gets a very satisfying, see, it's not just me face. <laughs> when, he, when he hears about BLT acting crazy at Paris, like, see, I'm not the only one with a crazy girlfriend, right? Yeah, yeah. It's going around. We also get a, uh, these motherfuckers are going to make me explain Ponfar face from Tuvok. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's rough. (laughs) You can tell that he does not relish in that prospect. They're going to beam everybody up and Tuvok is like, hey, I actually might know what's going on down there. And he goes down to Vorek's quarters to ask him, hey, did you accidentally meld BLT when you were making your unwanted advance at her? And Vorek is like, oh, shit, did I accidentally meld her? And Tuvok's like, dude, I think you accidentally melded her. What's crazy about this scene is that they have to talk to each other so loud so that they can hear each other over the sound of the Vulcan porn (laughs) that Vorik's watching. Mm -hmm. Would you mind turning it down, Vorik? Perhaps close some tabs. The screen is just naked people playing three-dimensional chess really loudly against each other. Just Vulcans having extremely logical sex. (laughs) Up, down, up, down. I must moderate my pelvic thrusts so I do not blast faster than I wish to. I will think about Margaret Thatcher during this portion of the proceedings. It turns out we learn in this scene that Ponfar may be a communicable situation. It's catching. It's catching like the naked now. (laughs) This is a theory that you advanced early on. Like, does a Vulcan need to be careful when they touch their dick? Yeah. For meld reasons. Yep. Uh, They need to be careful when they touch anything for meld reasons. It's true. Potholders should be part of their uniform, I think. That's like a low-key way to know that a Vulcan is is experiencing pond fire, is if they show yeah. up for work and they're wearing the potholders. Yeah, they're like, uh, do you think you're going to be like directly manipulating something in the warp core today to save the ship at the cost of your own life? You know, I don't usually use the voice commands at my station while I'm at work, but uh, this week I'm working with these, <laughs> so Sorry. Hey, if I ask anybody here to marry me, uh, I hope you take that in the spirit that it's intended. 
this is what we need. We need a very chill Vulcan to act as a like to. We already have the control Vulcan. I feel like that's right. Tuvok. Yeah. And then we have a couple variables, which is Vorik and then this very cool Vulcan we've come up with. <laughs> Chillock. <laughs> Chillock, the low press Vulcan. Chillock, uh, even more chill than, than Spock's brother. Yeah. <laughs> the scientists didn't think it was possible. Both Cybok and Spock do not talk of Chillock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Michael Burnham never brings him up yeah. either. <laughs> so Tuvok is like, hey, man, I think you probably want to get back to your tax documents folder and like really focus on that for the rest of the episode. Yeah. I'm going to see if I can clean up your mess. And another away team goes down to the surface of the planet. And Adam, I'm looking at all of these outfits. They are stretchy. They are form-fitting. Maybe all this pond far is happening because all the hot new fits on the Voyager crew. You have a toy body. I see that from your toy pants. So the plan is to get Neelix medevaced and send the rest of the group off to find BLT. I love the uh, Neelix getting getting hauled up on the rope. Yeah. <laughs> that was so funny to me. It's so insulting, I feel like. We're just yeah. going to use the cable winch, Neelix. Yeah, we're going to get you out of here the same way Dennis Nedry tried to escape Jurassic Park. And no wonder you're extinct. Coffee, black, coffee, black. Make it, make it, it yourself. BLT has not been making great time in her trip through these mines. She comes to a spot in the tunnel where she starts clearing away rocks and it reveals a big uh, power node and Paris is right behind her. <laughs> he has caught right up. And she explains to him like this thing is what's giving off the galacite readings. It's like something's still on down here and it's made of galacite. There's a lot more than will fit in that backpack, BLT. Yeah. If you're even interested in that anymore. Well, she is like almost fixated on it because they're yeah. like, cool, Bolana. Anyways, why don't you go back up to the ship? You're clearly like having some feelings and we need to get you chilled out. We'll take care of collecting the galacite and figuring out why this equipment is still on down here. Why don't you head back to the ship? And she's like, you guys are trying to steal my discovery. It's exactly what we need. And I found it. Yeah, it's weird. Like part of Ponfar is like taking professional credit for things. Like yeah. <laughs> as if that is something that is sexually gratifying to a Vulcan. Uh -huh. Yeah. I mean, it is to a Klingon, right? Yeah. This is sex. They are doing a little bit of a condescending tone in the way they're talking to her. Like, all right, BLT, calm yourself. We'll make sure to uh, give you a, a plaque at our next McLaughlin group. <laughs> Honoring your great find of this galacite. Try not to fuck the plaque. <laughs> <laughs> you little hornball. I mean, fuck the plaque all you want, just not in the meeting. Sure, yeah. Take it back to your quarters at the very least. This must be a very embarrassing moment for BLT, more than usual, because aliens have been listening in on this yeah. conversation, and they kind of appear like an H.R. Geiger situation, like they've been in the walls the whole time. And by yeah. moving, they sort of reveal their presence. One deleted scene from this episode was the Predator homage, where these guys back into the walls and cover themselves in mud so that they'll yeah. blend into it. Yeah. They're like, uh, what's wrong with her? Is their first question, basically. <laughs> I love that, like, the backstory with these aliens is like, yeah, the service was attacked, so we hid down here, and we also covered ourselves with mud to blend into our surroundings. <laughs> Do you have anything better than that as a tech strategy? <laughs> Chakotay is like, better than mud? I, I think we got something that would yeah. help. <laughs> like, we, we, didn't, we wouldn't have come here if, uh, you know, like... Honestly, I wish you could have been on the bridge earlier because I asked, are we potentially stealing this stuff from anyone? <laughs> like, if you could have seen it, you would believe me. These mud-covered aliens are like, and what is with her? And why is she so horny? Yeah. And Chakotay is like, we got a medical situation here. It's kind of hard to describe with the time that we've got. And then, like, these alien pagers start going off, and that's when they know an earthquake is about to strike. This does a banger on the caves that uh, is very dangerous, and 
provides an opportunity for some of the aliens to disappear. And uh, Paris and BLT are like the only two people left over after the dust clears. So looks like Chakotay and Tuvok have been abducted. Uh-oh. We've separated the Dustbuster Club. Yeah. It'll make for some interesting conflicts, I think. Yeah. I I don't know if you interpreted it this way, but that like during the shake, BLT starts like Star Trek fighting with one of the cavemen. Yeah, and because the caveman puts his hands on her. By it trying sort of to, seemed like he was he was trying to like clear her away from the wall and she like took it he was. the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. she's very sensitive to touch after what Vorik did earlier. Right. She's on Vulcan mescaline. Yeah. At this point, BLT doesn't even understand or even know something is wrong with her. And that's an interesting wrinkle to this whole thing. It's not like when you're diagnosed with an illness, you, like there's the moment where like you recognize that, that you are ill. Yeah. She is acting strangely, but she does not view her actions as strange. She's like, she asked Paris, like, why does, why is everybody treating me like I'm a, some kind of freak right now? And he's like, I really want to explain that to you, but like, let's get out of the caves yeah. first. Yeah. Back on the ship, the doc has done something to Vorik to help his condition. There's like a, a metal, like pair of briefs around him with like a, a lock and a cage <laughs> in front. <laughs> <laughs> and uh he continues to emphasize that he may have some techniques to help him through his situation yeah and proceeds to walk vorik to the holodeck vorik at first wants to head back to his quarters and continue going for quote unquote the record <laughs> but the doctor convinces him to hear him out on this other treatment regime that he's come up with he says, I'm calling this the Uxbridge treatment regime and presents Vorik with a Vulcan babe in the uh, tiki lounge on the holodeck. Vorik takes great umbrage with the idea of, of doing a hollow. The doc makes it clear that Vorik should not yuck this kind of yum. You know, there's nothing wrong with a healthy fantasy life as long as you don't let it take over. You call this healthy? Maybe give it a try. See what happens. Take it from me, it can be incredibly satisfying on a very long time scale. <laughs> Which is something you may need to contemplate as a member of the Voyager crew. Thus begins my pitch. <laughs> Better than tax documents, the Kevin Uxbridge story. We're disrupting the entire tax document folder industry. <laughs> also the title of my business advice book. <laughs> Now, I'll admit I had a ghostwriter. I've not put pen to page in that way for quite some time, and I just felt that the language would be improved. <laughs> Ironically, my my ghostwriter was a hooshnack. <laughs> a ghost hooshnack. Right. Vorik eventually relents and is like, all right, I'll fuck the hollow babe, but... Uh... You know, I'm not going to like it. I kind of wondered if there would be, if it like wouldn't work because the holodeck can't simulate the the psionic element of Vulcan love. Like if what he was doing when he put his hands on BLT initially was like some kind of sex specific meld. Right. You can't do that with a hologram, right? No. Yeah, that's interesting. No matter how real a holodeck program may seem, it just doesn't get your heart pumping like a genuine physical challenge. The actor who plays Tapera, really pretty, really thankless job, though. Like, Yeah, she just has to stand there. Stand as completely still as possible and yeah. look at Vorik. I don't want to watch him fuck, Ben. I want to be clear on that. But I wanted to watch some sort of interaction between them. Right. Any interaction. But we don't get that. Something about, like, every time you touch the warp core, you're touching me. <laughs> yeah. That always gets engineers going, right? I swear. I'm outraged by this. Just the stuff. Back in the caves, Paris knows what biting someone on the face means. Is this your idea of sex? He tells BLT that getting back to the ship is going to be her chance to fix how she's feeling. Because she's not happy to be feeling this way. There's, like... A demonstrated tension inside her. There's there are like glimpses of her fighting this feeling. Right. But the feeling is stronger than her abilities to to stop it. 
And her feelings have now sort of focused themselves on Tom Paris. And she talks to him about how she notices when he's checking her out in the lunchroom and how he clearly has unrequited feelings for her. And she's like really making the case for like, let's just get down right here, right now, the two of us. And Paris resists this. He says like, listen, nothing would make me happier. I've uh, been on a bit of a dry spell since, well, for a really long time, to be honest. <laughs> I think Ever th- since I got in the orbit of Harry Kim. Doesn't this feel like an extremely heavy lift for B-Dunks in the late 90s to plausibly act like a person turning down the advances of a hot person? Like, I thought this was really well done by B-Dunks here to not ham and cheese this part up. Yeah, I agreed. And I think it is really to this character's credit the way he behaves in this scene because I think a lot of other shows would have handled this moment in a really different, really gross way. Well, either really different or really gross or really stand-up guy B-Dunks and the after-school special, you know, music sting to emphasize the point that this is how you're supposed to act with someone who's compromised that you may be attracted to, you know? Like, Like it really middles those two feelings in... An effective way. It does not feel didactic. It just feels like good character development. Right. And I like how he uses humor a little bit to diffuse the tension in the situation, like self-deprecating humor, especially. Yeah. And she's like, fine. Well, if it's not going to be you, then I need to get back to the ship and do some fucking meditation. So (laughs) let's get out of here. She storms off and the passage has caved in and... She's like desperate enough that she wants to shoot it with a gun. And he's like, please don't do that. This cave is obviously unstable. You might be bringing it down on us. She's really being a liability. She's even suggesting that they split up. And he's like, listen, when has that worked out well ever in the history of anything? I'm already talking to skirts. She having it. We need to stick together. You white people always say less than up. There are three things to remember about being a starship captain. Speaking of split up, Tuvok and Chakotay are in another area of the caves being interrogated. That's because they've been taken hostage. The cavemen want to know about the capabilities of their ship. They want to know about their phasers, about their tricorders, why Tuvok has a artificial bone in his arm. We've got a lot of questions. Yeah, but Chakotay finds himself in a position that a lot of Starfleets do in situations like this. There's a suggestion that the Sakari are a lesser technological race of people. And so Chakotay has some bargaining power here for their freedom. Like, hey, it looks to me like you people covered in mud could do a little better than covering yourselves in mud if you want to flee the people who attacked your planet. Well, you said you people. What, is, what, what does that fucking mean, you people? The Galicite is basically just, a, you've hung a lantern on your on your secret underground settlement. Here. Yeah. And for whatever reason, Chakotay had been wearing a jacket and he sort of opens up one side of it and is like, maybe I could interest you in some of these pieces of tech. Yeah. To help you with that camouflage going forward. Wouldn't that sound nice? His promise is like, we'll teach you how to do this. You let us go and yeah. we'll never come back here. We're going to leave you alone. We we like really have no interest in fucking your shit up. The story this Sakari tells, I mean, there's not a lot made of it at the time. He's like, yeah, we were attacked. We fleed the service and went into the caves. It seems like a story that Miriam aliens have told before about being attacked by a superior alien race you know like you don't think much of it at the time we were at the bottom of the screen at the top of the screen there were a bunch of space invaders and they kept inching down and we tried to shoot as many of them as we could but eventually they they made it past the trees yeah it's a story as old as time (laughs) so yeah they've been they've been living down here for decades just like hoping that the space invaders don't come back and fearing that if they go back to the surface they might Yeah. Another earthquake pops off. Tons of bangers. Boulder bangers is what they are. Yeah. It's dangerous to be down there. It's dangerous to be down there. The threats to their physical safety have only made the situation hornier. And BLT almost convinces Paris to give in here. She starts kissing on him and he starts kissing back. And then he and then he does that thing and he pushes her away and he says, no, we can't. As much as I want to, we cannot. I'm possibly too attracted to you, babe. 
<laughs> to be honest, I already came. and <laughs> That's actually uh, one of the unstated advantages of these new uniforms, is that, uh, <laughs> boy, oh boy, do they wick away the moisture. <laughs> Look at this, it's already flowing down the front of my pants. <laughs> Up on the ship, Doc Holliday comes back into the Tiki Lounge where he finds Vorik like smoking a cigarette, basically. <laughs> Speaking of uniforms that don't wick, Vorik yeah. in repose, still wearing his, and it is just covered in sauce. Here's a de sauce! Oh. And he's like, ah, oh, that was fucking great. Oh my God. <laughs> you have no idea how much better I feel. The doc looks over at Tapara and she is just like messed up. <laughs> You can tell that uh, that Tapara and Vorik really went after it because uh, there are a few hairs out of place yeah. on Tapara, and the brooch she was wearing is slightly askew. So yeah, this is this is great news. The doc wants to write medical papers about it, but uh, he's going to have to uh, change the name to protect the innocent. The doc or wants- the not so innocent anymore. <laughs> <laughs> The doc is so excited about this that he wants to pivot into sex doctor, which is what he tells yeah. Captain Janeway. And so what I have like, to do is I have to rewrite that program and get the turtle-faced man to replace <laughs> Tapera in that role. Janeway's like, geez, doc, like, nice job, but... Yeah. You're supposed to be a physician, not a pornographer. I think we'd like it a lot more if our six bay were more of a general practice situation. Yeah, not a dirty bookstore. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the caves, BLT and Paris are still stuck. And BLT is, is deteriorating to the extent that she can't even remember why they're there on the planet to begin with. And that's the moment that Chakotay busts in like the Kool-Aid man oh, yeah. through the rock pile. And together they hike BLT out of the caves into the bright light of day. He's like, what's that smell? It smells like somebody who's been fucking in here. And Paris is like, sorry, that was me. We didn't actually. The, th- the thing about that smell is I'm looking at your garment, Paris, and there's absolutely no evidence that any fucking took place. So clearly that is not what happened here. So I guess this garment works as advertised. <laughs> <laughs> and then they turn to camera and then they super the logo for the company mm-hmm. that makes the onesie. And this has been a commercial for their product the whole time. Have you been putting horny on cave? <laughs> Try... <laughs> Star Trek onesie. <laughs> they come out of this cave and Tuvok is like, all right, Paris, everybody, like you get a gold star. You resisted the advances of a hot and horny woman who was not in her right mind. But medically speaking, if she doesn't get her rocks off right now, she is going to die. So as your commanding officer, I am ordering you to get down with BLT. This is another moment in the episode where if you don't play this exactly right, it is a broad laugh line moment. Yeah. And I'm not saying that it isn't already with yeah. the connotation. <laughs> it's fuck or die, Ben. And uh, yeah. Paris just stands there, you know, during. He's right. not doing it right. And this really aggravates BLT in the moment. Well, what are you doing? Enjoying myself? But BLT's gonna teach him how. You gotta make noises. You gotta give as good as you get. It's funny how virginal anyone would be when getting it on with a Klingon, right? Right. We've heard Worf talk about this. Like, there is a... There's an amount of violence associated with Klingon sex that many species couldn't withstand. And that is repeated in this episode. I mean, there's also the double the holes situation too, right? Like Paris is working with with a totally unfamiliar situation down there. (laughs) He gets on top of her as they're rolling around in the dirt and uh, a hand grabs him from behind and flips him over and the camera swings up and a very, very angry Ensign Vorik looms over him. And challenges him to a fight to the death. You know what it's time for, Ben? Ritual combat! (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy, because Paris is like, I thought that was definitely off the table. Yeah. Tuvok. Yeah. And Tuvok's like, I know, I thought the same thing. 
I did not read ahead in the script. I'm as shocked as any of you. I really regret emphasizing how unlikely this whole situation was back then. Really makes me look like a fool. Vorik has knocked out communications, so they can't even, like, talk to the ship. They can't bring in backup to try and stop this thing. It's really like the Star Trek equivalent of the steel cage match. Yeah, it really is. He's, like, challenging Paris to to this fight, and BLT is like, Fuck fighting Paris. Fight me, motherfucker. <laughs> it's the Ponfar equivalent of being your own counsel in court. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, Tuvok is like, it is a highly unorthodox procedure, but I will allow it. So we get a rematch from that original scene between the two of them. This is pretty much the only th- way we have any hope of resolving this at this point, because obviously meditation wasn't working. I don't think you could do this scene if you cut to a lot of reacts. And what that means is that you need to stay with the action for the duration. And I really thought, like, this was an extremely high degree of difficulty scene to shoot and cut. And I thought it was done very well, like a really complex fight scene. And there are sections of it that last for a pretty long time without any cutting. It was pretty good, yeah. And, uh, I mean... It's also just like such a tricky thing when you're staging a fight between a man and a woman to like both make it feel justified within the story. And also, I I think that they weirdly succeed at like nobody's going to be mad at Vorik for this, you know? I don't think it works the same way if he's a Klingon and she's a Vulcan. I'll tell you that much. Like, I think there's some species bias that that's helping the situation here. Yeah, it's a kind of a remarkable scene in that way. Yeah. And maybe just a testament to like all of the world building that Star Trek had to do over the preceding four series to make that possible. I mean, I think the stakes are a big part of why this has to happen too, right? When Tuvok says that both of them will die without this fight and that they only might die from (laughs) fighting, like... Weighing those two outcomes means that this has to happen. So I think it takes the gender disparity vibe off the table. I don't know. Well, and also, crucially, BLT wins. (laughs) Right. So. I mean, we were always going to bet on BLT here, right? Right. Yeah. Even though Vulcans are supposed to have super heroic strength, right? Yeah, they are, but so are Klingons, I think. Yeah. Yeah. When the fight is over, it's like a spell breaks because their illness is done too at that point. Yeah. It's wild how that happens. This high concept ritual combat really fucking works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes you wonder why it's not a proposed solution to more problems, right? It seems great. <laughs> Everything should be solved in the octagon. Yeah. So we get a captain's log. This all went super well. Now that we're friends with the Sakari, we were able to trade them galasite concealment technology for a big pile of galasite. And we cut back up to the ship where an awkward elevator ride takes place between Tom Paris and BLT. And uh, this starts with her feeling very much ashamed at having put it out there in the way she did. And him sort of trying to feel her out on, like, to what extent was that the raging hormones and to what extent was that a feeling that is really happening for you? Because I am interested, (laughs) for the record. Way more nuance in this scene than just the, hey, I was out of my mind there and I'm embarrassed about it. And a person going, it's all right. I know you were out of your mind. It's it's fine. I don't hold it against you. More nuanced because the big takeaway here is like showing a person your true self is what close friends or potential lovers should feel comfortable doing. Right. And when Paris says, you know, you could show me your Klingon side anytime. In some contexts, it could feel like a pass. Everything's not a hit. People can make conversations without it being a hit. But it's also like a, hey, we've known each other a long time. And there's a big part of you that you don't feel comfortable showing other people. Like I can be that for you when it comes down to it. And I thought that was well done and well articulated. It's a really nice bit of writing. And I think just as nice is the sort of game that she kicks at him as she leaves the elevator. Yeah. <laughs> like, a very, a very cute little moment. 
at the end of this scene. Careful what you wish for, Lieutenant. This is the part where it turns flirtatious, I thought. Yeah. There is a button on this episode that I did not see coming. It's the captain and Chakotay back down on the planet. And Chakotay has something important to show her. Another discovery that they found when they were down helping the Sakari. I love Chakotay being the master of dramatic tension here, not telling Janeway <laughs> what he wants to show her. Yeah. I think you better see this for yourself, Captain. Yeah. This is very like cold open of a 90s thriller yeah. kind of energy here. <laughs> Did you get a look at this Skeleborg? It looks like they're kind of, of mummified or something. Like there's a like a desiccated quality to the meaty parts. Yeah, she's like, usually they disappear when they die. And I, now I can see why. That is not pretty to look at. <laughs> usually nature takes its course. The coyotes come <laughs> and clean the bones. <laughs> Did you like this episode of Star Trek Voyager, Adam? It's hard to remember there was an entire episode that came before the Skeleborg reveal. <laughs> because the Skeleborg is really like the look at me part of the episode we got. But I don't want us to forget just like the great B-Dunks performance we got in this episode or like the real people throw around this word a lot around actors. And and most of the time it's like overused, but like some real bravery that Roxanne Dawson had in her performance here. And what a really strong season she's had in season three both acting as BLT and also the many versions of her. Totally. Like really sort of taken over season three in a big way, in a way that I really admired. I really feel like also, I wonder to what extent Andrew Robinson was maybe the perfect choice to kind of bring these performances out of these actors and and creating a, a space that was like really safe to go in these areas. The areas that could, if you don't get the nuance right, like... There are a lot of Star Trek episodes that don't age very well and right. make them really gross in retrospect. Not a gross feeling episode here that it could have been without the steady hand here uh, by all parties. So I totally. I did like the episode. What about you? I did as well. I feel like we've had a lot of Star Trek caves lately mm-hmm. and I'm a little bit bored of that as a setting. And I think that this episode kind of revealed that to me, especially because the setting when they first beamed down is the Sears garden center. And I was like, Oh man, like more of this, please. Like more like variety in our away missions would be really great. Yeah. That was, that was one thing I wouldn't hold against this episode a little bit, but other than that, I thought it was a a really interesting episode and a great example of making like corny sex storylines kind of fun and interesting in a sci-fi way. Yeah, I mean, the naked now, this was not. No. And <laughs> and it really could have been. Really could have been. Well, Adam, do you want to see if uh, there's anything in the Priority One inbox that is as horny as this episode? Oh, wow. I mean, sometimes there are. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from Bryn. And the message is to she who is my wife, Heather. The message goes like this. It's been a while to get you to watch TNG with me. And now you're viewing this dumb pod with me too. In your world, Tasha is yet to go to Mount Armas, RSVP. Wesley (laughs) is still the boy. But at least you've met Jim Shimoda and Mr. Argyle and seen Wharf Lightning and Anybody Canyon. Wow. I can't wait for you to meet Kevin or Ensign Rowe as well. I love you. Man, that is such a fun thing to imagine, watching TNG for the first time. (laughs) A lot of uh, exit ramps to take if you're Heather. I'm not talking about from the relationship. I'm talking about from Star Trek. Like... (laughs) From Bryn, our podcast. I mean, our podcast is Oops All Exit Ramps. I yeah, I, I don't... I mean, I'm very grateful to Bryn for introducing Heather to both Star Trek and our show, but yeah. I might have waited to introduce our show until a little bit later. Yeah. That's just my that's advice. A, once, you, once you're... Uh, I mean, I guess you're married, so... Yeah. You're kind, of, you're kind of committed now. 
You're, committed you're to stuck the with us, Heather. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, our next priority one message is from Andrew, and it's to Ben and Adam. Maybe Andrew Robinson, the director of this episode? Wow. Yeah. Probably. Uh, it goes like this. Every time you guys make a cum or piss joke, I question whether it was a good idea to tell my mom about your show. Mm, I feel the same <laughs> way about my mom. <laughs> but seriously, you guys have made working from home marginally more bearable since I discovered your pods. Thank you. Also, can you play the Chris Brenner drop? Now that's easy to do. It's one of our favorites. I'm Chris Brenner. Brenner Information Systems. You know, interface, operations, net access, channel 90. That Chris Brenner. <laughs> it's done. Yeah. Andrew has requested that this get played before the end of everything, which, you know. I may mean, or may not have happened. May or may not have happened as of this recording. <laughs> it, it'll depend on how quickly we're able to schedule the episodes we have in the can. <laughs> That's important work. Yeah, indeed. Uh, well, if you'd like to get a Priority One message on the show, you know what to do. You head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Sign up for it. And it's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. Hey, Adam. What is that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I think... Mine's going to be the doc for wanting to pivot from doctor into sex doc. <laughs> hmm? He makes no bones about it that the that really is his primary interest. I think yeah. that's what happens a lot. Like you go you go into a school of any kind, like like higher education style school. You you sort just sort of figure out what your interests are. Sometimes right. you you go into medicine generally before finding a specialty, and that's what the doc has done here. He found his passion late in life. Yeah. As it were. This is a ship full of fuckers. And uh, <laughs> he's going to help them do it right. I mean, one thing I kind of wished the doc had said to Tuvok in that scene is like, you're going to deal with this too. You know, yeah. like we have no reason to believe that we won't be on this mission for at least seven years. So help me fucking solve this problem. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting that glimpse of Tuvok's hollow program that we got before where he chokes out Neelix all the time. Like that is a suggestion combined with this episode that this is where Tuvok goes to yeah. to do his therapy of all kinds. Yeah. What about you, Ben? My drunk Shimoda is BLT. I feel like the energy that we talked about in the middle of this episode where she is convinced she is doing the right stuff and everybody else is like, no, you're fucking everything up. is <laughs> very Jim Shimoda, you know, like... Like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna play with these isolinear chips, and everybody's like, no, <laughs> the chunk of star is gonna hit the ship, man. Yeah, yeah, and like they're both both characters playing fairly broad in those yeah. moments, but how it's interesting how differently both of them hit in their contexts. Yeah, so uh, good stuff he's... by both. Yeah, Adam, our next episode is season three, episode seventeen. Unity. Chakotay responds to a distress call and discovers a group of different species, many of which originate from the Alpha Quadrant, living on a planet stricken by conflict. Hmm. Sounds like a pretty standard issue Star Trek episode there. A-Quad aliens. Right here in the D. Huh. I mean, we've seen some of them before already. Yeah, it's, it's not unfathomable. No. Well, uh, I'm going to head to gach.biz slash game and check on the game of buttholes. The Will of the Caretaker. Our runabout is currently on square 16. Just ahead is a quarks bar. And there's also an eyes uncovered square I think I can hit here. Oh, yeah. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. So I'm going to go ahead and roll this bone. Did I win? Hardly. Wow, I rolled a six, and I jumped over both of them. Got us off the second row. We're on square 22. That's impossible. You never do that. I did it. I did it, baby. Good job by you. Yeah. Good job by everyone who support the show. I mean, people who support the show make the greatest generation possible. You can count yourself among them by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. Yeah, do that. Do it now. 
Priority ones do the same thing. Being a customer of one of our many advertisers also helps the show. Yeah. Miriam ways to support the greatest generation. Getting something at podshop.biz. Yeah. Seeing us at a live show. Yeah. Recommending us to your wife. Oh, that that sounds pretty suggestive, Ben. You want to retake that? <laughs> no, I stand by my words. Hey, are you are you having some troubles in the relationship department? <laughs> Maybe Greatest Generation can help. Um, it's been an advertisement for our uh, marriage counseling the entire time. Right. We got to thank Wendy Pretty, the producer of this program. We've got to thank Bill Tilly, the social media director of Uxbridge Shimoda. Follow us at Greatest Trek on Instagram and Twitter. We got to thank Adam Ragusia, who made all the custom theme music based on Dark Materia's original Picard song. Adam Ragusia now on YouTube as a chef and soon to be on uh, your podcatcher. He's coming back out of podcast retirement, people. Yeah. No one stays podcast retired forever, I guess. Yeah. I'm excited to hear his show. He's the best. At He's this moment back in time, for one big score. He hasn't premiered yet. Yeah. I hope I'm not, like, uh, putting him on blast before the premiere of the big show. Now, he doesn't listen to our show anymore. It's fine. <laughs> well, thanks to everyone who listened, and we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager that has a lot of uh, characters from our past that theoretically we want to get back there, but now that they're here, we're like, Ugh. Yeah, I mean, what is there to go back for? I don't know. I mean, whoever they are. I don't know who they are, Ben. Yeah, I'm not being specific. All right. Make it so. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.